When D.L. Hall made his Major League debut as a starter this season, things went so-so. But then the Orioles moved him to the bullpen. And honestly, he was pretty dominant down the stretch. So the question becomes, what is D.L. Hall's role with the O's in 2023? We'll answer that question coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we continue our 2022 Orioles player review series as we take a look at a couple of rookie relievers that the Orioles used kind of sparingly this season. First, we'll talk about D.L. Hall, the one start he got, his dominance down the stretch in relief, what the heck his role is going to look like next year. And then we'll talk about Logan Gillespie, who the Orioles added to the 40-man roster last offseason, protected him from the Rule 5 draft, but then didn't really use him much. Just about 17 innings in the big leagues this year. So can he have a role moving forward with the Orioles' bullpen? But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms Monday through Friday. Brand new episodes of the pod, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, or if you watch right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you can. If you like the pod, we thank you so much for all your reviews and thank you so much for making Locked On Orioles your off-season home for all of your Orioles content every single day. And on today's episode, we start with D.L. Hall. Because for as long as I can remember, D.L. Hall has been a top 10 and, and mostly a top 5 prospect in the Orioles system. Since all the way back, all the way back, when the Orioles took him in the first round of the 2017 draft, just a high school lefty out of Georgia who was throwing hard at 17 years old and looking like an interesting prospect, drafted by Dan Duquette and his staff. And now, finally, in 2022, he gets himself to the big leagues. But it was in certainly an interesting role. So let's kind of start with how this season looked for D.L. Hall. He was in big league spring training. He threw that incredible inning against the Phillies in spring training where he was throwing 100 and striking out everybody, and he was looking amazing. But we still kind of know, hey, you know, his season ended halfway through with that weird elbow injury, not Tommy John, more of a bone thing in 2021 in double A. You know, he hadn't even pitched in triple A yet. We knew D.L. Hall was not breaking camp with the Orioles. We knew he was going to have to get to triple A, pitch some there before he did. And listen, we saw him in triple A this year and it was dominance in triple A. Now, you know, did he get hit at times? Yeah. Did he have a 4.70 triple-A ERA in 76 and two-thirds innings? Yeah, he did. Is that the greatest ERA of all time? No, it's not. But he struck out 14.7 batters per nine. Now, did he walk 5.8 batters per nine? Yes, he did. That's a very high number. But 14.7 Ks per nine and having the highest whiff rate in triple-A, that's going to help you out in about 77 innings. So the stuff was there. And as he went through the year as a starter in the Norfolk Tides rotation and was staying relatively healthy throughout the year, I think everyone thought, we got to see him in the big leagues at some point. And you just thought, 
you know, he was getting hit around a little bit, but then he would have a dominant start. And yeah, the walks were an issue, but they were a little better. We just got to the point where it was time. It was time for DL Hall. It, it was time to see him in the big leagues. And so the Orioles finally made the call. On August 13th, you know, we hear kind of some rumors. It was reported by Andy Koska of the Baltimore Sun that he'd be starting a game. The Orioles kind of added him to the taxi squad. They were being kind of shady about what they were going to do. But they finally call him up. And August 13th in Tampa Bay against the Rays, a big-time series for the Orioles. They're right in the middle of pushing themselves back into the playoff race. You know, they had they had won game one of the series. They were looking to clinch what would have been a huge series win, clinch the season series with Tampa Bay at that point. And for D.L. Hall, it just didn't happen like you wanted it to. Three and two-thirds, five runs on five hits, six strikeouts and three walks. He had seven whiffs. The changeup looked great, but the other stuff was a little shaky at times. Couldn't get, you know, out of the fourth inning in that start. The Orioles lose that game 8-2, going to lose that series, lose the season series to the Rays, and, of course, finish three games behind Tampa for the final AL wildcard spot this year in the playoff race. And... You know, the Orioles were very frank with what they were doing with D.L. Hall. And then we heard after the game that it was going to be a one-time thing. The Orioles sent him right back down to AAA after the start. And they basically told us we wanted him to get his feet wet, get a start, you know, to kind of know when he was going to pitch, making his Major League debut, be able to control it more with the pitch count. And then we're going to send him back to AAA. We're going to move him into a relief role. And then when he gets back to the big leagues, you're going to see him as a reliever for the rest of the year. That's what the Orioles told us. And at the very least, they were transparent because that's exactly what they did with D.L. Hall down the stretch. Now, you can argue whether or not that was a good idea. Did it mess him up to come up and start once and then go to the bullpen in the minors? I think a strong argument was made for, well, you didn't call him up as a reliever and then build him up into a starter. You caught him up as a starter and then built him down as a reliever. Couldn't you build him down as a reliever just directly into the big league bullpen? I think that was a certainly a fair assessment, one I had at the time in August as well. But he goes back down to AAA, and he makes you know four relief appearances and looked pretty solid. And you know, the first one wasn't great with walks, but then he was striking guys out left and right. And so when rosters expanded on September 1st, the Orioles called D.L. Hall back up to the big league team, this time in a relief role. And then the next question came for D.L. Hall. What was the role going to be? Because we had seen him as a starter, and we know he has the stuff of a back-end guy, but you had an Orioles team get into September right in the thick of a wild-card race. You had a guy who had made one big league appearance who had had some serious command issues at times in the minors, and you're just thinking, well, he has the stuff of an eighth-inning guy, but he's going to be more of like a bridge reliever. You know, he comes in maybe the fourth or the fifth or the sixth at most just because you don't know how you can trust him. So the Orioles kind of, you know, tried to ease him in, I think, early, and they, and they did a nice job of that. But he did have that tough appearance, you know, came into the top of the ninth. Orioles were trailing by one in the big doubleheader against Toronto on September 5th, and he, he got just one out, and he gave up three runs on four hits, and it did not look good in that appearance, and people were kind of jumping off the boat for D.L. Hall. But then he turned things around, and he had four straight scoreless appearances to end the season out of the bullpen, one of those included his first career save in New York against the Yankees on September 30th when Felix Bautista pitched the eighth in a one-run game, then got injured, and D.L. Hall all of a sudden comes in for the ninth, facing you know one of the meteor parts of the Yankee order and just sets him down one, two, three with a couple of strikeouts, looked dominant to get that save. And listen, you know he ends up overall in the Major League season. You count all 11 appearances, including the start. It was 13 and two-thirds innings. 
It was a 5.93 ERA. It was 12 and a half Ks per nine. It was 3.9 walks per nine. You know, not amazing, but not not terrible to at least compare it to what he showed in AAA, which was a much higher walk rate. I mean, again, he was 30% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate in the big leagues this year. You'll take that. League average walk rate is 8%, so he's just above it. League average strikeout rate is 22%. That's way higher at 30%. But if you take out the start and you just look at what he did out of the bullpen, well, then you got 10 appearances, 10 innings, 12 hits, 4 runs, 13 Ks, and 3 walks. That's 3.60 ERA. I'll take that from a reliever. And I get that this is very much cherry-picking and pulling things out of his stats, but you can look at his stats as a reliever versus a starter. I think that's fine. And if you take out that one bad appearance against Toronto in that doubleheader on Labor Day, you're looking at nine appearances, nine and two-thirds innings, just one run on eight hits with 13 strikeouts and two walks over those nine relief appearances in September for D.L. Hall. That is elite stuff and elite numbers to go along with the elite stuff from the left side that we already know he has. And you look at that stuff, I mean, you know, fastball, change-up, slider, curve, and we saw mostly the fastball slider when we saw that big league spring training appearance. But when he got to the bigs for real, it was actually big change-up. And, you know, the changeup was even good in that one start. And then when he came back in the bullpen, it was still the changeup. And, yeah, he's throwing the fastball, averaging 96, and he's up there 97, 98, 99 at times, kind of pushing towards 100. And the fastball, it got hit around at times, but he was very unlucky. Had just a 201 expected batting average against his fastball this year, just a 240 expected slugging. You know, really, when you look at his stuff, like in terms of the expected stats, he had an actual ERA of 593. We did a 2.57 expected ERA and a 1.65 FIP. A lot of that has to do with he only threw 13 and two-thirds innings in the big leagues. But his stuff and his quality of contact showed his stats should have been much better than they actually became. And especially in the bullpen, they were still pretty good. He did get very unlucky in that start against Tampa. But, I mean, you look at what the changeup did. I mean, that pitch was ridiculous. It had almost a 40% whiff rate. That changeup, that was the put-away pitch. And then he had a 34% whiff rate on the slider, although the slider did get hit hard at times by righties when it was in the zone. He got guys to chase it as well. You go with the you know the big velo fastball and the curveball that he'll drop in there from time to time just to get some guys out and give them a different look. And it was a legitimate four-pitch mix from D.L. Hall in the big leagues this year. That's just what it was. It was fun to watch. And, you know, in the middle of that September month, he turned 24 years old. He's still a young guy, will be 24 on opening day, and, you know, hasn't even played anywhere near a full big league season, there's still a lot in the tank for D.L. Hall. And I get, you know, the the concerns about the command. It's been his concerns his whole career. But when you look at what he did, again, you mentioned those nine relief appearances. I mean, even the bat, when you include the bad one, it's 10 innings, 13 Ks to three walks in relief. That is good command, and you watched him, and you saw the good command, too. He was in and around the strike zone. He was pinpointing that changeup especially. It was like if John Means could throw 100. That's what the changeup looked like. (sighs) There's something different in that arm for D.L. Hall. But obviously, you know, you look at everything he did, and he is a shoo-in, unless there's an injury, to be on the Orioles' opening day roster next year. There's no question about it. But the question that comes once you get past the fact that 
100% going to be on the opening day roster. Where does he fit in? Because I think personally, he should get every chance to be a starter. The Orioles drafted him as a starter. They've developed him throughout the system as a starter. I think he should get every chance to be a starter. That's what he's been his entire minor league career until he went back for the final couple of weeks of August this year. But it's tough to knock out of your mind how he looked a little shaky in the one start. And it's not fair to grade one guy on one start, especially his first and only big league start. But it's tough to knock that out versus how dominant he looked in relief down the stretch. I mean, the fastball played up. The other stuff played up. He was getting righties and lefties out. It wasn't just a left-on-left thing. He was getting everybody out. And we've said this all along. You know, maybe D.L. Hall's floor is Josh Hader. It's a pretty good floor. I mean, one of the best closers in baseball. But his floor is probably a little lower. I mean, he could be more of a, a wild reliever in the big leagues. But Josh Hader still feels like not the best outcome just because you want him to be a starter. But if he is Josh Hader, on the field, obviously, is that so bad? Because if you get a dominant lefty who's pitching the eighth and ninth innings for you, you will take that. And so here's the question for D.L. Hall going into next year. What do you do? Because again, I think he should get every chance to start. That's what the Orioles think he can be. They think he can be a legitimate starter. And even if he's a five-and-dive guy, and even if he turns into a Blake Snell type, Blake Snell has helped multiple teams win a lot of baseball games over the last few years. He's maybe not a number one lockdown ace anymore, but I'd take him in a heartbeat on the Orioles. He's still a legitimate, very good Major League starting pitcher. That's very helpful in 2022 in Major League Baseball. Even though Snell kind of nibbles and isn't great to watch, Theo Hall doesn't even nibble that much. I think he could be a better version of Blake Snell even as a starter. But here's the thing about the Orioles offseason that I think makes D.L. Hall so interesting heading into next year. D.L. Hall's role might really depend on who the Orioles add this offseason, whether it be trades or free agency. Because I think for Grayson Rodriguez, he's a starter no matter what. No matter who the Orioles sign, even if they went out and got like DeGrom and some other guys, there would still be a spot no matter what for Grayson Rodriguez in the Orioles opening day rotation if he's healthy. But for D.L. Hall, I'm not sure that's the case because you look at the options. You, you put in Grayson Rodriguez, then Kyle Bradish is a shoe-in, and Dean Kramer's got to be a shoe-in, and then you've got the Tyler Wells and the Austin Voths of the world. When you add in, you have to think one of these free agents is coming to Baltimore. Maybe two, or maybe a free agent and a trade guy. So when you look at adding two starters, hopefully, this offseason, plus Rodriguez, plus Kramer, plus Bradish. That's already five spots. And then Wells and Voth, they're competing as well. Could Hall get pushed out? And maybe not because of lack of skill for him because he's got legit stuff. But when you look at him in the bullpen, he's already done it at the big league level in big moments. He would be the easiest to just put into the pen. Now you could argue Tyler Wells would be right in that camp because he's also been a successful reliever for the Orioles during his entire rookie season in 2021. But even Tyler Wells at his best did not look like what D.L. Hall looked like at his best, which is legit crazy stuff from the left side. So it's almost kind of tantalizing to just put him in the bullpen. Now, would I do it to start the year? No. But if the Orioles added two legit big league starters, and then you finished it off with Grayrod, Kramer, and Bradish to fill out your five-man rotation, 
Now, maybe you could go with Hall as a sixth starter. A lot of teams will start the season with six guys in their rotation. But you also have Voth and Wells as those options. And I think Wells kind of a perfect kind of sixth starter for a while, then goes to the bullpen. It would be hard to, to get away from the idea of just put Hall in the bullpen, let him eat. You can let him go two innings at a time. You need some spot starts. You need you have some injuries down the year. You can just put him right into the rotation. He's ready to do that. But it is a little scary because if you put him in the pen now and you commit to him in the pen now, it could get harder and harder to get him back into the rotation if you still think that's the long-term plan. So again, I think the Orioles will give him every chance to start. But if they do add some guys, not a bad problem to have to put D.L. Hall into the bullpen and let that thing rip at the end of games. But D.L. Hall, again, it was only 13 and two-thirds innings that he got this year. So we still have a lot of questions. Don't get me wrong. Still a lot of questions to be answered about D.L. Hall at the Major League level. And another guy that fits that script is Logan Gillespie, who, honestly, I thought would get a lot more chances than just 17 and a third innings this year at the big league level. But that's what he got. So coming up next, we'll try to evaluate those 17 innings and his time in AAA and what it means for his future in the Orioles' bullpen. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net because it's a pretty great time for sports right now. And it's a pretty great time for sports wagering as well. We know there's big sports wagering news this week in the state of Maryland, of course. But at BetOnline.net, you can get every line, all the odds for every single game. Now, we can run through the schedule. I mean, you look at this week. You got Thursday, Thanksgiving football. It's the best. Three games all day in the NFL. You got college football coming up Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. Final week of the regular season. Some big playoff implications. And then it's feast week in college basketball. So many great college basketball games, including the Maui Invitational. Of course, you got the NBA. You got the NHL still going on. And oh yeah, by the way, the World Cup's going on. As much as the U.S. men's national team disappointed us with their 1-1 draw against Wales on Monday. There's World Cup games, four of them every single day, starting at 5 p.m. Eastern time. You can get all the lines and odds at betonline.net. So head to your computer, head to your mobile device, head to BetOnline. It's the best place for all your sports betting info, analysis, everything you need. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. So D.L. Hall did look certainly dominant in the big leagues this year, especially as a reliever. But when you look at his whole package, I mean, again, 13 and two-thirds innings is not a whole lot. And the same can be said for the chance that Logan Gillespie got this year as well. I wanted to break down his season, review his season, too, in this episode. Because Logan Gillespie, I think this time last year, we really thought Gillespie was going to have a, a solid case to be a regular in the Orioles' 2022 bullpen. Now, we had no idea that the Orioles' bullpen was going to do a complete 180 from being the worst in baseball in 2021 to being a top-five bullpen in baseball for most of the year this season. So maybe that hurt Gillespie's chances. But when out of nowhere, about last November, the Orioles added him to the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5 draft after being a minor league signing who just kind of had solid numbers in AA buoy, we kind of couldn't believe it. But then you saw the stuff, and you saw how he pitched in the Arizona Fall League, and you started to understand it a little bit more. But I Still didn't understand where he really came from. But you had to think, all right, Michael Elias believes in this guy. And if they're adding him to the 40-man, he's probably going to be in the big league bullpen next year. And while he did get his chances, not nearly as many as you would have thought. Gillespie's end of the season, 17 appearances out of the Oriole bullpen this year. And 17 and a third innings pitched. He had a 3.12 ERA with a 3.57 FIP. Now, it wasn't a lot of strikeouts for Gillespie. Just 5.2 Ks per nine but only 1.6 walks per nine, 
on the season. His 4% walk rate, very low compared to the Major League Baseball average on the season. But again, just not a lot of chances. 17 in the third innings, 20 hits, 6 earned runs, 10 strikeouts, 3 walks, 1 home run allowed, and 2 hit batters on the year for Gillespie. So how do you really evaluate his season? Well, it was odd to start because not only did he not start the year on the big league roster, he was in double A to start the season. He actually pitched almost a month with double A Bowie. Now, it was only eight innings, and he had a 3-3-8 ERA, and he struck out a bunch of guys before going to triple A, but he actually started the year in double A. Then he, he goes to triple A on May 3rd, and after a couple of weeks in triple A, the Orioles say, all right, we need an arm. Let's get you to the big leagues. So he debuts in the big leagues on May 17th, actually pitches two scoreless innings with a strikeout, three hits, and no walks in his major league debut. Pitches a couple of days later out of the bullpen as well. And then kind of the roller coaster season for Logan Gillespie starts. He sent back down to AAA May 21st, just to be recalled May 23rd. Then he stays for about a month, optioned again on June 18th, stays down for about a month, comes back up on July 28th, goes right back down on July 29th. Orioles recall him on August 14th after they sent DL Hall back down after his start. Then they send Gillespie back to AAA August 19th. And finally, about a month later, he comes back to the big leagues one final time on September 26th and finishes about the last 10 days or so of the year in the big league Orioles bullpen. Now, shout out to Gillespie. He did finish his season with three consecutive scoreless appearances out of the bullpen. A strong finish for Logan Gillespie. And this is kind of similar to what I did when talking about D.L. Hall, but you look at his 17 appearances on the year, and this is a little bit of a bigger sample size as well. But you look at his 17 appearances, and six earned runs, not bad at all in 17 appearances. But if you do that little bit of cherry picking, and you go look at June 13th in Toronto, he gets just one out, he just implodes. Gets just one out, allows four earned runs on five hits in that relief outing. If you just take that one terrible outing, June 13th in Toronto, against a great offense, you just pluck it right out of his season. You're looking at a line that includes 17 innings of work over 16 appearances and a 1.06 ERA for Logan Gillespie. Again, that's just 17 innings. That's not a big sample size at all. But a 106 ERA, you're going to take that 10 times out of 10. And he was kind of a reverse splits guy. You know, he got lefties out at a much higher rate because of that changeup that he throws. Now, his changeup did get hit at a 400 clip this year, but it is his go-to secondary pitch. He's got the 95-mile-per-hour fastball, though guys had a 324 expected batting average against that, so they squared it up. His slider got hit around. He got a little lucky this year. And again, maybe luck turned around on him with the the blow-up outing, the four runs, getting one out June 13th. He got a little lucky at times. Now, an interesting thing about Logan Gillespie is his fourth pitch. He actually throws a curveball. He only threw it 24 times this year, but it had a 57% whiff rate, and he didn't allow a hit on it. So maybe he adds to that pitch this offseason. Maybe. It's certainly possible for Gillespie to try and look at that pitch even more. But I mean, it's got to be tough to establish yourself when you're going up and down that many times. And it wasn't expected, but the Oriole bullpen just had so many weapons this year that they only kind of needed Gillespie when they needed a fresh arm. He was kind of that next guy up in the pen. Really, you could argue Nick Vespi was the next guy up all year, and Gillespie was a rung below Vespi. He was the next guy on kind of the power rankings for the Orioles when they needed a fresh arm in the bullpen. So he ended up behind Vespi, who 
obviously was not added to the 40-man roster last year when he could have been, and Gillespie was instead. So you look at the stuff, and I think the Orioles like it. It's a solid fastball. The changeup falls off the table. It's able to get some lefties out. And a 106 ERA when you take out that one bad appearance. I think that's all good stuff for Gillespie. Now, he's going to be 26 years old in April. Still got plenty of options. You know, still has plenty of time in the big leagues. Just his, his first time in the big leagues this year since the Orioles signed him to a minor league deal. I think he's still got a bright future. There's no reason to, to take him off the 40-man roster. He's still young. He's still got solid stuff. But I don't know. I mean, maybe he could take that step forward. I trust what the O's have been doing with relievers. And I think he could play a role. But maybe to start the year, because the Orioles have so many bullpen options, maybe he's in kind of that up-down role, that you know Norfolk shuttle guy again. But I think it's a valuable guy to have in that role because instead of bringing up somebody who you just claimed off waivers two days ago to fill that role like the Orioles had been doing for the last three years, you have a somewhat dependable option in that role in Logan Gillespie. So I think that just means the Orioles are getting better because 2018 to 21, Gillespie would have been in the bullpen the entire year. He might have been the closer by the end of the year. But he spent the most of the year in AAA this season. So... Does that spell good things for the Orioles? I think it does. It means their bullpen was better, and we saw it. And his AAA stats, I mean, they were very weird, too. He had 35 and a third innings, a 5.09 ERA, but a 2.94 FIP in AAA for Gillespie. Had more strikeouts, a few more walks, but a lot more Ks in AAA. So the stuff was solid. It was definitely there in Norfolk as well. But I just think he could be the shuttle guy. And, hey, he takes a step forward. I could totally see him in the pen. But he's probably more of that, that shuttle guy going forward. Just a nice piece for the Orioles to have to be able to go to out of AAA. But it does beg the question, you know, what's this Orioles bullpen possibly going to look like next year? Well, coming up next, let's take a look at it. Let's try to maybe take an early guess. Who are those eight guys who break camp with the Orioles in their bullpen on opening day? We'll talk about that to finish off the pod coming up next. So we've chatted about D.L. Hall, we've chatted about Logan Gillespie and their 2022 rookie seasons with the Orioles, and it makes you think, you know, what's this bullpen going to look like next year? Because it had a great season, and I think the Orioles have four lockdown returners. Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, and Brian Baker. As long as none of those guys are traded this offseason, all four of them should be locks to be in the bullpen on opening day. But then you have a lot of other options, including two that we talked about today that could be in the pen, you know. Depending on how many starters the Orioles bring in will kind of depend on where these guys fall. But let's just say the Orioles bring in two starters. Let's say they really do it. They go get a Jamison Tyon and they trade for a Pablo Lopez. They go get two legitimate starters and they add that to Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, and Dean Kramer to fill out the five guys in the rotation. Let's let's feel good about the offseason, at least at this point. So you have eight bullpen spots there. Bautista, Tate, Perez, Baker take up four of them. D.L. Hall then gets the fifth one easily. Tyler Wells gets the sixth one. And I think Austin Voth has to have the seventh one. And you look around and you go, wait a, wait a second. We've put our old starters in the pen. we got our legitimate guys in the pen. We've got one bullpen spot remaining on this 26-man roster. It's going to be a fight to get that one bullpen spot. Keegan Aiken, he's going to want that spot. He pitched like he deserved it at times. Mike Bauman, he's really going to want that spot. If Joey Crable's still around, he's going to want that spot. Logan Gillespie's going to want that spot. Nick Vespi, certainly. He's going to have something to say about that spot. And that's without the Orioles even signing any kind of veteran reliever. If they sign any kind of veteran reliever, well, there's your eighth spot. And it's also without the Orioles 
claiming another reliever on waivers this offseason who turns into, you know, this year's CNL Perez or this year's Brian Baker coming off waivers. It's going to be really tight getting into this bullpen this year for the Orioles, especially if they do bring in multiple starters like I think they should this offseason. It's going to make this pitching staff honestly kind of scary for opposing teams going into next year if that's the case. I think that spells some, some really, really good things for the Orioles moving forward. But moving forward on this podcast, here's to hoping the O's uh, start to make some moves or at least get involved with some rumors here this offseason so we can talk about them on the pod. If they don't, though, we will continue our player review series here on the pod. Only got a couple of players left coming up later this week. And again, that starts when we return on the podcast tomorrow. Again, it looks like no episode coming up on Thursday. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, but we'll be back with an episode tomorrow and then an episode on Friday to finish off the week. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.